And good morning once again. Good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 5. And as always, we'd like to welcome the new folks. Good to see you. And let you know that we are currently working our way through the Gospel of John here at Calvary on Sunday morning. As I just said, we find ourselves in John 5 today uh, in a study, a series actually, that we've entitled Jesus Declares His Divinity. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 17 through 30, Jesus makes five claims to his own divinity, five claims of equality with God the Father. First of all, Jesus claims equality with God in his person, second, in his work, third, in his power over life and death, fourth, in his authority to judge, and finally, Jesus claims equality with God in honor. Now, last week in our study, we got as far as the fourth main point in our outline. Jesus claims equality with God in his authority to judge. Let's back up to verse 20 once again, where Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And guys, as we said last time in verses 21 to 22, first Jesus claimed equality with the Father in his power to raise the dead. And then he coupled it with a claim of equality with the Father in his authority to judge the world. And now starting with verse 24 and running through verse 29, the Lord Jesus amplifies this truth by focusing his remarks on the resurrection of the dead and the coming judgment. Now, before we get into that, let me just make some introductory statements on the subject of resurrection. Many years ago, Job asked the question, and Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible, not the first in the cover, but the oldest in the Bible, dating back to about 2500 B.C. But many centuries ago, Job asked the question, in chapter 14, can the dead live again? If so, he said, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly wait await the release of death. Well, he goes on to answer his own question in chapter 19, where he said in verse 25, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last, in the last day. And after my body has decayed, after I'm dead, my body has decayed. Yet, listen, in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. In other words, not the eyes of another. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Job is declaring his belief in the resurrection of the dead. He is also rejecting the doctrine of reincarnation because he said, I will see him, the Messiah, with, for myself, yes, I will see him with my own eyes and not with someone else's eyes. If reincarnation was true, of course, our spirit would keep getting recycled into new bodies. And he couldn't say, my bodies that I've had in my earthly physical body, uh, he'll be able to say that these eyes will see Messiah. The doctrine of reincarnation, as most of you know, is a doctrine of demons rooted in Hinduism a doctrine that is completely refuted in the New Testament, numerous passages, uh, not the least of which is uh, Hebrews 9.27, for it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. 
All right, back to John 5, 24. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, The hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And again, guys, these verses have been called by many some of the greatest verses in the Bible for helping people to understand what the Bible teaches about resurrection and the coming judgment. What's a little confusing, as we have been talking about, and why some misinterpret what Jesus is saying here about the resurrection of the dead is because there are actually three different resurrections in view. One spiritual and the other two are physical. They are in the following order. The spiritual resurrection of the lost, verses 24 to 27. The physical resurrection of believers, verses 28 to the beginning of verse 29. And then finally, the physical resurrection of unbelievers, the end of verse 29. In verses 24 and 5, Jesus describes the resurrection of the lost to eternal life, which Paul talked about in Ephesians 2, verse 1, when he said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So the dead in verse 25 of John 5 is a reference to unbelievers those who are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. They hear the voice of the Son of God through the Holy Spirit when the gospel is preached. And if they believe the message and receive the Savior, well, at that moment they are raised out of spiritual death into spiritual life, resurrection life. So the first resurrection that Jesus speaks of is the resurrection of lost souls at the moment of salvation. And as we said last week, guys, this resurrection is going on right now. Verse 25, the hour is coming and now is. This resurrection is going on right now constantly um, all around us. In fact, all around the world, wherever the gospel is preached and people put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are raised out of the state of spiritual death into new life in Christ. Well, that then sets the stage for the final two resurrections that Jesus speaks of in John 5, 28 and 29. Now, before we look at these final two resurrections, let's first look at verses 26 and 27, remembering that Jesus is talking about these resurrections in terms of final judgment. Well, at least for those in one group. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Now, the term Son of Man is a reference to the humanity of Christ. Of course, Son of God is a reference to his deity. But Son of Man speaks of his humanity, listen, in relation to his redemptive work. You see, the Bible says that by one man, Adam, came the fall and eternal condemnation of mankind, whereas by one man, Jesus Christ, came the salvation and restoration of mankind. 
Since a man caused the fall of mankind, listen, it would take a man to redeem mankind. What the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer, the Hebrew is goel. Read the book of Ruth. That whole book is devoted to the subject of a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. Since a man caused the fall of mankind, it would take a man to redeem mankind. Even as we have quoted several times in this little series, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, for as in Adam all what? Die. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Guys, the only person who could righteously sit in judgment of mankind was a man, a descendant of Adam, who himself was morally perfect and sinless. And of course, that man was Jesus Christ, God in human form, the God-man. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus came to conquer over Satan and death, to give spiritual life to all who would receive it, and someday, listen, to reign as king over this world. Those who bow the knee to Christ now on the earth, giving them his, their life, submitting to his control, well, they will be a part of his kingdom when he returns to reign. Those that reject Jesus as their king and savior now will be judged by him someday and cast into hell. You don't have to turn to these. I'll read them to you quickly. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Paul said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. 1 Peter 4, 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so, guys, that brings us then to the two final resurrections that Jesus talks about in John 5, verses 28 and 9, the physical resurrection of believers and the physical resurrection of unbelievers. Now, we'll only look at the first one today. We'll save the, the last one for uh, the future. Not too far in the future, but the future. Um, so, so let's focus on the resurrection of believers. Now, folks, let me just say this. Okay, A lot of times when we are studying the Word of God, it is pure doctrine, pure informational. We want you to have the information, right? Uh, God's Word, there's nothing superfluous. There's nothing that doesn't belong there. Every word has been given us, to us by God. And as Jesus said, we must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So sometimes, if you're more of a devotional-oriented person, you want devotion. You want to kind of emote. You want the, the, the teaching to kind of uh, penetrate and produce kind of an emotional response. I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, I like that too. It's nice to have that uh, a knowledge of God in a way that you just rush of emotion and you're just over, overwhelmed by God's love. Nothing wrong with that. But there are other times when we learn things, doctrine, for the sake of knowing them to be able to share with others. Now, this series has been more doctrinal than devotional. I understand that. But please tune in uh, because I really want you to understand these things. We need to understand, at least have a working knowledge, of what Jesus presents here, one of the most important passages on the subject of resurrection and even judgment in anywhere in the Bible. Okay, So we are focusing now today on the resurrection of believers. And let's go back to verse 28 again, where Jesus said, Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, in these verses, Jesus is affirming that every person who has ever lived and died on the earth will someday be resurrected from the dead, both believers and unbelievers. Furthermore, he makes a clear distinction between these two resurrections. He calls one the resurrection of life, and the other he calls the resurrection of condemnation, both found in verse 29. Notice in verse 28, though, the statement, the hour is, excuse me, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Now, guys, unlike the hour, quote-unquote, that Jesus spoke about in verse 25, the hour is coming and now is. That hour arrived. It arrived in Jesus' day. This hour, and again, we're not talking about a literal 60-minute period of time, but a moment in human history, this hour is yet future. This will be a time... When Jesus will speak the word, the same word that he spoke, Genesis 1, that brought the entire universe into existence. Read again, Genesis chapter 1. There's going to be a time in the future when Jesus is going to speak the word and all the dead will be resurrected bodily from the grave. Again, John 5, 21 Jesus said, For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Now, if we only had John 5, verses 28 and 29 on the subject, we would be left to conclude that this would be one giant, all-encompassing resurrection of believers and unbelievers together. However, we learn from 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 20, and other places in the New Testament that there's actually going to be two resurrections. One for believers and the other for unbelievers. And listen, they will be separated by at least a thousand and seven years. I am a pre-trib guy. I believe the rapture happens before the tribulation period begins. The tribulation period is seven years. Now, let's just say hypothetically that the rapture happened on one day and the next day began the tribulation period. You'd have, of course, the rapture is when, you know, we'll talk about that in a moment, when a, when, when a resurrection, a rather large one, takes place. But you have seven years then, tribulation period, and then a thousand-year millennial kingdom, and then you have the next resurrection. So these two resurrections, you don't see it here in John 5, right? It just sounds like it's just one big, all-encompassing resurrection of both believers and unbelievers. It's not true. We know from other places in the New Testament, they are two resurrections separated by at least 1,007 years. So verse 28 again, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good, to the resurrection of life. Let me stop there. When the Lord says that those who have done good will be raised to the resurrection of life, talking about believers now, be careful not to interpret this to mean salvation by works. We have plenty of other verses that teach clearly salvation is not a reward for the works that you do. The Lord is simply pointing to the good works these people had done in their lives on the earth 
as the fruit, and listen, the proof of the relationship with him. Jesus said, you will know them, talking about believers, by their fruit. And in saying that, he meant the good works they do in service to me, he was saying. I always like the quote by Charles Spurgeon, who said, We are convinced that a man is saved by faith alone. But we are also just as convinced that the kind of faith that saves a man is never really alone. In other words, there will always, if there's true saving faith, if a person has truly received Christ as the Lord and Savior and has been born again, there will always be the evidence. There will always be uh, the, the consequence, which is fruit. I, I'll read you Ephesians 2, 8, 8 to 10. You, most of you probably have memorized. But Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. Salvation, we have nothing to do. The only thing <laughs> we contributed to our salvation, ready? The sin. That's the only thing. It's not by works of righteousness so that no one can boast in heaven. But I like verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works. In other words, it's the, as soon as we get saved, God begins to work in us, maturing us and calling us into the work he would eventually give us to do. This is an evidence of our salvation, not the way by which we, we um, gain our salvation. But with regard to the physical bodily resurrection of believers, guys, which Jesus called the resurrection of life, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. And why don't you turn there? We'll just do that. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. But with regard to the physical bodily resurrection of believers, again, which Jesus called the resurrection of life, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that this res resurrection, now don't miss this. Otherwise, you're going to be very confused today. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that what Jesus called the resurrection of life is not a single event, but a category that contains multiple resurrections of believers hold on to that i hope i can make that clear okay understand the first resurrection or what jesus called the resurrection of life is not a single event it is a category containing multiple resurrections of believers in first corinthians 15 look at verse 20 paul said but now christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead, verse 23, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. And there's two different comings in the New Testament uh, that fall under the category of Christ's coming. The rapture when he comes for his church and the second coming when he comes with his church. Hang on to that. We'll, we'll get back to it. I want you to focus, though, on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, when Paul talks about the order. Okay, He said, um, 
but each one in his own order. Each one meaning each group will be resurrected in his own or its own order. The word for order there is the Greek word tagma, and it means a series of succession. It was really a military word, uh, originally referred to military rank, uh, the order of command, that kind of thing, or the order of importance. Paul is telling us that the physical resurrection of believers doesn't happen all at once. But again, it consists in a series of successive resurrections starting with, all right, this is the most important one, the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits. Again, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. As the Lamb of God, Jesus died on the feast of Passover. He arose from the dead three days later on Sunday, which was the Feast of First Fruits. You can read about the Feast of First Fruits in Leviticus 23, verses 9 to 14. It was an agricultural feast when the first shoots of the barley harvest began to poke their way up out of the ground. They would, on this feast, cut those little sheaves down, bring them to the tabernacle, later the temple, to offer to the priest who would wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. The idea was very simple. By offering God the first fruits of the harvest, it was their way of honoring Him. Remember, God said, I want to be first in your life. And everything that comes up out of the ground or comes out of the womb of animal or person is dedicated to me. And if you will put me first by giving me the first fruits, an offering which signified, God, you're first in my life. You are, have the first place, supreme place. God said, if you will honor me with the first fruits of your crops and everything else, well, then I will respond by accepting your first fruit offering and giving you a great harvest, talking about crops now, later on. Even so, when Jesus was raised from the dead, remember he ascended back into heaven, and the Father accepted the Son. It was the Father's way of saying, look, even as my son lived the kind of life that honored me, pleased me, went to the cross and died and rose again and now has ascended back to me, I have received him. This is going to be very important in John 16. So, so just keep it in mind. But um, because I have received Jesus, my son, well, I will someday receive all those who are a part of him, his body, on the earth. And so God is assuring us that because Jesus was accepted up into heaven as the first fruits, it would guarantee a large, giant future harvest of souls someday for the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 19? Because I live, what? You will live also. Referring to Jesus as the first fruit of those who will be raised to eternal glory, listen guys, doesn't mean that Jesus was the first one ever to rise from the dead. We have instances of people who were raised from the dead before Jesus in both the Old and New Testaments. But listen, Jesus' resurrection was different from all of those in that they were raised and yet died again physically. Whereas Christ rose never to die again. He rose with a glorified body. Well, he is the most important. His was the most important resurrection, okay? He's the first fruit. The next in importance, and again, tagma, uh, an order of succession from the most important down, uh, military term, maybe from the general 
down to the captain, down, you know, that kind of a thing, okay? The second now most important resurrection that Paul kind of mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of the church saints. After the resurrection of Jesus, next comes the physical resurrection of the church, the body of Christ. And they are all those people who came to saving faith in Christ. Listen, from Pentecost, when the church was born, to the time of the rapture. Okay, the, that's, that's the church age. Pentecost to the rapture. The rapture uh, is God evacuating his people off of the earth, the body of Christ, before his judgment falls, because we don't have to be punished with the wicked. We've accepted Christ. God's judgment is for Christ rejectors. We're not of that group, okay? Um, but during the church age, Pentecost, the Revelation, all the folks that got saved were members of the body of Christ. We know this. In fact, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul talks about this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, let's just look at verse 13 first. Paul said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Guys, to believers, death is only sleep. The body sleeps, but the soul and spirit are taken to be with the Lord in His presence. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the body goes into the grave. It decays, turns to dust. At the rapture, the physical body will be resurrected, awakened, you might say, glorified, and will be reunited with our soul and our spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that you who are alive and remain uh, to the day of the rapture, until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. These are it's a reference to dead saints who belong to the church, church age. These will be joined by believers who are still alive upon the earth at this time. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The Greek term caught up is the Greek word, excuse me, the term caught up is the Greek word harpazo, which literally means to be snatched away. The Latin Vulgate translates it rapio. It's where we get our word rapture from. Now, don't confuse this coming of Jesus, spoken here in 1 Thessalonians 4, with the second coming. Here Jesus comes for his church in the air, whereas the second coming is Jesus coming, listen, with his church to the earth to establish his kingdom. You can read Revelation 19. The third group, will be the resurrection of the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints. Many, many will come to know Christ during the tribulation period, which I said is seven years, but especially during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, known as the Great Tribulation Period. During this horrific period of time, 
Many godly people will be put to death by the Antichrist for their faith. You can read Revelation chapter 6, 7, chapter 13 talks about this persecution of the Antichrist towards the, the uh, tribulation saints. Those people who came to Christ during the tribulation period and are now being executed by the Antichrist. Now at the end of that period of time, Jesus is going to return to the earth. He will end the Antichrist persecution of God's people, destroy the Antichrist army, and cast him into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20 tells us. Then Jesus will resurrect all those believers in him that the Antichrist martyred, and they will become part of his millennial kingdom and reign with him. Revelation 20, verse 4, John said, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded by the Antichrist for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The next resurrection will be the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. The resurrection of the Old Testament saints, I believe, will occur simultaneously with that of the tribulation saints. So when Jesus returns at his second coming, wipes out the Antichrist, at that time, I believe he will resurrect both the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints, Moses, Abraham, David, and so on. The resurrection of Old Testament saints was promised by God through the Old Testament prophets like Daniel. Let me read you Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be, resurrect, will be rescued, I should say. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace or contempt. This very much sounds like what Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 29. And again, guys, if these were the only passages in the Bible, uh, Daniel 12 and John 5, uh, that spoke of this on this subject, we would be left to conclude that this would be, again, one giant all-encompassing resurrection of believers and unbelievers. Now, let me just, a little side note. Often people ask me, what happened to the people who died in the Old Testament before Jesus came? Well, they had to go into a place called Hades, in the center of the earth. Luke 16 tells us this place is divided into two compartments, Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise and comfort, and then um, a torment site where unbelievers go. These two compartments are separated by a giant gulf or chasm like the Grand Canyon, so that one, people from one side can't get to the other and vice versa. When Moses and Abraham and David, all the Old Testament saints died, they had to go into Hades, which was a paradise and yet a prison. Their sins had not been paid for, so they couldn't go to heaven. Now, when Jesus died on the cross... Uh, before he ascended back to his father, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. You can read Luke 13, 16, verses 19 to 31, and Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 9, 
Before Jesus ascended back to his father, he first descended into Hades. And he released the captives and brought them with him when he ascended back into heaven. Today, that paradise side known as Abraham's bosom is empty. Because nobody goes there anymore. Now that we're after the cross, this side of the cross, when we die to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. However, unbelievers still go into the other side of Hades, the torment side, where they will remain until the last resurrection, uh, the physical resurrection of unbelievers. We'll talk about that uh, later on. Okay? So that's what happened there. Now, that brings us to the fifth and final resurrection, the resurrection of millennial kingdom believers. This kind of takes some people back. Hear me out, okay? During the millennial kingdom, there will be some who die. There will be some who die. Remember, death won't be completely eradicated until after the millennial kingdom when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, verses 1 and 4. John said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is after the millennial kingdom now. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those who live in the new heaven, new earth, new city of Jerusalem. God will wipe away. These are the redeemed, of course. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be, listen, no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away once and for all. One pastor commented on this resurrection by saying, and I'm quoting him, it is interesting to think that they may well be raised as soon as they die, no burial being necessary. It would make death for a believer during the kingdom nothing more than an instant transformation into his eternal glorified body, end quote. That makes sense, okay. Listen, although the conditions on the earth are going to be so ideal during the millennial kingdom. I believe God will restore the earth into the paradise state it was before the fall. I don't believe there's going to be harsh climactic regions on the earth during the millennial kingdom. I believe God will bring the earth upright, no longer tilted 23 degrees on its axis, will bring it upright and cause it to have even, maybe even uh, restore the moisture blanket around the earth that, that was there before the flood, uh, which allowed light to come in, diffuse evenly around the earth, uh, creating a kind of a, uh, a tropical climate uh, all over the earth. No, no harsh climatic regions. I, I believe it's going to, I think the earth is going to be really uh, repopulated during this thousand years. Death will still be around, but I think very rare. I think because of these ideal paradise conditions in the, like the Garden of Eden during this time, most people are going to live the entire thousand years. Isaiah 65, verse 25, gives us some of the uh, conditions that will be uh, around at that time. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. No carnivorous animals, all herbivores. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. So the curse is not completely removed yet, although greatly curtailed. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isaiah 65, verse 20, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. 
No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Uh, you're just getting started at 100. Uh, only the cursed will die that young. All right, guys, the only resurrection remaining will be that of the unrighteous, who will be raised to condemnation and eternal punishment at the end of Christ's thousand-year reign. Revelation 20, verse 5. This is the first resurrection, what we've just talked about, containing five different categories. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until, uh, until the thousand years had ended. This final resurrection of unbelievers, physical resurrection, doesn't take place until after the millennial kingdom has ended. Okay, we'll talk about that in detail next time. But listen to me as we close. God has promised that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to the first resurrection. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but you belong to the first resurrection group. Okay? We fall under the category of church age. So we will be taken at the rapture. That's all part of the first resurrection now. And so are tribulation saints and Old Testament saints resurrection and even the millennial kingdom saints. God has promised that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to the first resurrection, and on you, the second death will have no power. The second death is hell. Is hell. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For, uh, for them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them for a thousand years. This is exactly what Jesus promised in John 5, 24, when he said, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They shall never be condemned in hell for their sins, but have passed, already passed from death into a state of everlasting life. All the apostles said the same thing. In Romans 8 verse 1, he says, so now there is no condemnation. Condemnation means damnation. It means eternal separation in hell from God. So now there is no condemnation, listen, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Guys, all true believers, whether Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints, all of them, will be part of the first resurrection. All unbelievers will be a part of the second resurrection, the resurrection of condemnation, which will result in them experiencing the second death or being cast into the lake hell of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, lake of fire. This is the second death. Because the concept of hell is so egregious to many today, and they cannot understand, wrap their minds around a concept of a God who casts people into an eternal torture chamber called hell, I'd like to spend some of our time next week talking about hell. And then we'll look at the final resurrection the week after. Bottom line, let me just say this. Yes, Jesus is a righteous judge. And he has to punish sin. Otherwise, he would not be a righteous judge. But let me just say this to you. 
He did not want to punish you. He wants to save you. That's why he came to the earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish in hell but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ has got his arms open, his nailed scarred hands, and is saying, come to me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you live. You come to me. You put your faith in me. I will receive you. I will wash you of your sins. You will become my child, and you will have a place in heaven with your name on it. And you will never, ever die again. You will enjoy nothing but eternal glory in my presence. That's our God. A righteous, holy God who has to punish sin, but loved us so much, he died in our place because he wants to save sinners. So may God give us grace to understand, uh, you know, the whole story. The whole story. All right? May God continue to bless our studies in his word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for our study this morning. Lord, because it, it's awesome to study what you have said, that we would be um, not ignorant with regard to these things, but uh, we would uh, be diligent to show ourselves approved. Workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've opened our eyes that we are a part of the first resurrection group. And someday, in a twinkling, uh, just a nanosecond, we're going to find ourselves in the clouds looking at you face to face. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you to continue, continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.